Next, the golden days of radio. This is Frank Brzee welcoming you to the golden days of radio. Great moments from radio programs of the past, headlining some of the world's most famous personalities. On this program, we are saluting one of the most popular radio shows of all time, Amos and Andy. And joining us in person is their announcer for more than two decades, more than 9,500 broadcasts, Bill Hay. During the golden days of radio, millions of listeners across America would tune in every evening at 8 o'clock and hear this theme. That's the theme of Amos and Andy. And we have as our guest, Bill Hay, the announcer on the Amos and Andy show for 20 years. Bill, welcome. Thank you very much, Frank. It's nice to be here. You've got a tear in your eye listening well, to that theme, that I think. theme song recalls so many, many unforgettable, delightful evenings that I spent with the two boys. And they were just a little younger than I was, so I looked upon them as boys. Uh-huh. But uh, that theme song... It was very, very familiar all over. It didn't matter which part of the country you went to, what class of people you met, that theme song was a call to duty, and the duty was, listen to Amos and Andy. And the title was a perfect song. The perfect song from The Birth of a Nation. You know, one thing that, that I can say about that, that theme, it introduced a program that was, I think, to become the most popular show uh, of the time and perhaps the most popular show that had ever been broadcast. Well, I think your judgment on that is absolutely correct. And being connected with it, I, I'm a little bit hesitant about saying so much, but I think without any question, Amos and Andy was the most popular program that ever was on the air. They used to change the hour of legislative meetings in some of the cities in the countries. They used to stop the movies in order to let them see or hear the episode. And they used to even change the hour of prayer meeting in the country churches so that they could listen <laughs> to Amos and Andy. Oh, my goodness. There was more than one reason for that, because the program itself, it was so clean, and it was an entirely new type of humor, and uh, it may surprise a lot of people to know that Amos and Andy wrote all their own episodes. That I didn't know. And I could tell from the way they walked into the studio at night what sort of time they'd had when they wrote the episodes because doing it every day, it's bound to become a sort of a chore. And sometimes, well, you know from your own experience that there are times when the words just seem to flow. You have no difficulty whatsoever in getting the meaning out of things. But there are times when you can't put two and two together and make it add up to four. And I could tell from the way they walked into the studio what sort of time they'd had writing it. Sometimes they'd write that thing just as quickly as it could be typed. And it, I think Andy did the typing. But uh, there was never any mistake about it. That was the Amos and Andy routine. Well, of course, Amos and Andy were, were played by Freeman Gosden and Charles Carell. Yeah, Freeman was Amos and Charlie was Andy. Now, you met them long before they became Amos and Andy, though. Well, I met them when they were 
Salmon Henry. Salmon Henry was a. That was the one who were the Tribune. Now they were that w- they had basically the same kind of character. Same idea, yes, yeah. With uh, with a different name. Now I have an excerpt from 1925 uh, of Salmon Henry. They were they were so popular at that time they made recordings uh, on, yes, on Victor yeah, Records. Yeah. And this is a short excerpt of a Salmon and Henry routine in 1925. Amos and Andy in 1925 when they were known as Sam and Henry. Now, why did they change their names? Well, uh, they started Sam and Henry when they were with the Tribune, the Chicago Tribune. And then later on, I won't go into the details of what necessitated the change or what made it possible, but they were hired away from the Tribune by the Chicago Daily News. Well, they couldn't use the name Sam and Henry because that was copyrighted. Mm-hmm. Then they had to wonder, how how can we get another name? Well, it would be too long and too complicated if I went to all the details concerning that. But it was a very, very happen, happy happenstance mm-hmm. when the name Amos came out first and then Andy, and that was two A's. That in itself was something a little bit different. It made it stick out, really, Amos and Andy. And it's euphonious. It flows out. Mm-hmm. Some names you have to sort of... Wait, and then it stutters like this, but Amos and Andy. Why, it's just as easy to say as how do you do. It went together, yeah, sure. Yeah. No, and you were working for them. You were the announcer on their program when they were Sam and Henry. Yes, yes. I was working, at that time, I was working for the Tribune. Mm-hmm. Not for Sam and Henry. I was with the Tribune. When I was on the air for the Pepsi and Company, I was working not for the station, not for the network. I was working not for the advertising agency. I was working for Pepsi I see. The, so, the happiest days I ever had in my life. So when they changed their name and, and went to another station, you went along with them oh, because yes, you were yeah. the announcer. I was part of the bargain. Well, now I know that uh, in 1939, uh, they broadcast a, a short routine from the 1939 World's Fair, and you introduced that. Prior to that, Franklin D. Roosevelt opened the 1939 World's Fair. Now, you probably have never heard this clip, but it's Roosevelt, and then there's an excerpt uh, with you introducing Amos and Really? And and once I was in very distinguished company. <laughs> and we'll hear that right now. I hereby dedicate the World's Fair, the New York World's Fair of 1939. As the scene opens now, we find Amos and Andy in the fresh air taxicab arriving at one of the nine entrances of the New York World's Fair. Well, here's the gate right up here, Nine, and there's a policeman standing there. He looked like the Northwest Mounted, don't he? Yeah, wait a minute, wait a minute. Maybe we better not go in there. I can see Mr. Whale some other time. Wait a minute. One of the things that we've talked about in the past, and and, uh, I always remember from listening to Amos and Andy, was the distinctive opening that you had. And I don't think there was another program on, on the air that had a signature. Certainly, Bob Hope has uh, his musical signature, and, and Burl has uh, various lines, and comedians have lines. But I don't think there was an announcer that came on the air and was identified like you were when you said, and here they are. Because it w- it's something that always gave me a kick, and it was really a signature of the show. Well, 
There's a funny story attached to that. The first night we went on the air as Amos and Andy, none of us was nervous, but all of us were quite excited. And in order to break the pressure, we spent the few minutes preceding the opening of the show telling stories. And I don't know which of the boys was telling the story, but it was excruciatingly funny. And all of a sudden, just when we were getting ready to burst into a oh, great big loud laugh, you're on the air. Well, we had to cut out the laugh and the story. And I started the introduction in the usual way, and the more I was getting along, I, I couldn't get the thought of that payoff of that story out of my mind. And I began to, to laugh away down in my tummy. <laughs> <laughs> And I couldn't contend it anymore. Instead of saying, as I ordinarily would, here they are, I said, here they are. And that was the happiest thing that ever happened to me because, as you say, it was identified with the program in such a way that today, particularly out in the Bowling Green where I play, frequently some of the older chaps will come up, well, how's it? Here they are today. <laughs> <laughs> that, that did become a signature. I have an excerpt from 1937. And and we'll hear exactly the way you yeah. said, and here they are, right after this. I was worried about keeping the premiums up on my insurance when I started in the service, but I found out I didn't have to pay the premiums until I was discharged. The Soldiers and Sailors Civil Relief Act authorizes a guarantee of premium payments up to $10,000 of commercial insurance on your life. After separation from the service, you have up to two years to pay the back premiums and interest. The Soldiers and Sailors Civil Relief Act protects you. For more information, see your legal assistance officer. And as the scene opens now, we find Amos, Andy, and Slookie Harris in Andy's office as Andy explains the situation. Here they are. Andy, explain this contract to Flukey. Flukey, get this in your head now. Yes, I listen with both ears flapping. This contract is iron-bound, iron-clad, and iron everything else. Yeah, well, I don't have to read nothing, no do it. You ought to read everything you sign. Yeah, cause don't forget, the big type gives it to you and the little type takes it away. Oh, wah, oh, wah, oh, wah. Look here, boys, I'm gonna slap that right on the front page of my newspaper. Will you let me have $2 sell sadly, Miss Andy? All flavors signify by the usual sign. Reef on us know the eyes has got it. I want to tell you that my wife is very unhappy and I won't stand for it. I know, that brings back some memories. Freeman Gosden and Charles Carell did all the characters on the program in the early Every years. one, yeah. Did you, besides announcing, did you ever do a character on the show? Nope. The, the, you just, you were the announcer. I was there was for a... one purpose only, to introduce Amos and Andy and sell Pepsi and toothpaste. Well, I think you did a grand job. Now, we've talked about the fact that Amos and Andy went on the air uh, about 1925 or 26, and you were their announcer at that time, which means you've been in the business a long time. Oh, I started even long before that. I started in radio before people knew what it was. I, I knew nothing about it at all. I was living out in the state of Nebraska, and at that time there was quite a lot of people who did not know where Nebraska was. <laughs> and there were very, very few people who knew where Hastings was, and that's the town in which I was located. It was the Gas and Music and Furniture Company in which I had invested my money. And uh, I don't know what happened, but there was quite a, a deal. The Westinghouse people, who at that time were very, very much alive in the broadcasting business, they had stations in you see KDKA and KYW and another one down east. But uh, 
They wanted to get the programs out to the Pacific Coast. And the equipment at that time, whether it was the fault of the equipment or the lack of knowledge, I can't tell. But they could not get them directly from New York to California. So the Westinghouse people sent out a corps of engineers to see if they could work out a deal whereby they could have an exceptionally powerful and accurate receiving set, pick that up at the point where it was pickable. I like that word, but mm -hmm. don't put despicable in front of it. But uh, they did that, and uh, they were supposed to build a transmitter to take that program, which they'd picked out of the air, and put it over the mountains and bring it out to California. Well, the engineers worked hard, but not successfully, and it just didn't work out. After um, after you uh, worked at uh, KFKX in, in Hastings, then then you went on to Chicago. Yeah. And did you meet uh, Freeman Gosden and Charles Carell right away? Or no, not right away. I, there was one of the smaller stations. I, I had given up all hopes of ever going any farther in radio, but uh, I was convinced in my own mind that if the thing were properly approached, uh, it was a marvelous method of selling. And I think my judgment has turned out to be right because there's a lot of things sold on radio. But, uh, well, it's hard to express it. I don't want to give you the idea that I'm tooting my own horn. That's the last thing in the world I ever want to do. But I had a feeling that the thing were properly handled and the merchandise was good. There was no better way in the world than selling by radio because you got the chance to get into the people's homes. And I had the feeling all the time that I'm not going to be a high-pressure salesman. I'm not high-pressure in anything I try to do. But I realized that through a fortuitous circumstance, I had been privileged to get into the homes of some people if I were advertising a sponsored product. And uh, there was no reason in the world why I shouldn't act like a gentleman. And if I can win the people's confidence and make them believe what I'm saying, and that's one thing I will say without any fear of contradiction, that every announcement I ever made on a commercial program was absolutely on the square. As a matter of fact, I told the president of the company at that time that I would not make any announcement unless I was satisfied in my own mind that it was absolutely trustworthy and honest. And it turned out to be that way. And when you're sold on the subject or a pr uh, proposition, it's easy to sell somebody else. But unless you are sold 100%, you couldn't sell gold dollars at five cents apiece. 9,500 broadcasts is almost 20 years. Yeah. And Amos and Andy was on, uh, you said, for six nights a week for a while. And there were not recordings in those days. All the shows were live. Oh, it? yes. You did two shows a day, didn't yeah, you? We did one at 6 o'clock, which was uh, fed to the east. We broadcast from Chicago. And then we had another one at 10 o'clock, or 10.10. In fact, my, my uh, opening announcement when they were Sam and Henry used to be 10-10, WGN, Sam and Henry. Mm -hmm. Of course, that was changed to 10 o'clock so that we had the Amos and Andy show. In those 20 years, did you ever miss a broadcast? Oh, you would bring that up. <laughs> I used to pride myself that I had never missed a broadcast on account of ill health or a cold or anything. If I had a cold, I could hide it out pretty well. But we had been spending the winters in Palm Springs, and the people nowadays know what Palm Springs is. In those days, it was my idea of heaven. 
I know I left Chicago one night in January, and there was a howling blizzard. Oh, boy, was it raining. And was it snowing? Was it cold? It was terrible. And I landed in Palm Springs, and I thought I was in heaven. It was, well, it was my idea of heaven on earth. And uh, we had a very happy time. We spent, the first year we were there, we spent uh, four weeks. Both the boys felt much better, so did I. The following winter, we went for nine weeks, and uh, we felt still better. And the third year, we went out for the winter. Uh, I think we were there about two or three months. And I saw a nice piece of property, and I bought a home and lived there. And I, I never was healthier or better than in my life than I was then. But uh, I've always been a very keen devotee of all kinds of sports. I like to play tennis. I used to play to tennis when I was going to college at home, and I played golf. I think maybe I'd be better if I said I played at golf, although I did have a seven handicap, so it wasn't too bad. And I liked to swim because I was raised in Scotland and I used to swim long distances every day during the summer months. And this particular morning, I'd played two sets of tennis, nine holes of golf, and I had gone for a swim after that. Then I had a nice lunch, and I thought I had plenty of time. I'd just sit down and rest for a minute so I'd be fresh for the broadcast. I woke up, and it was about two minutes before the time I was to go on the air, and I had a, a lovely cottage away in the back part of the Mirador Hotel. And I jumped up, put on my clothes, rushed over there and had to climb the stairs. And when I got there, I was <sighs> like a broken-down horse. And I, I finally got through it, but people were terribly worried. They thought I was sick. But that's the one and the only time I was ever late for a program. And that's in 20 years. Now, you also did another program in the in the late 40s and 50s. Oh, I did lots of programs. That, that wasn't the only program I had. I used to announce, I can't recall exactly, but uh, I was on the air practically continuous every night from 6 o'clock until 10, sometimes until 11, doing not only the Amos and Andy show or the Simon Henry's award, but Amos and Andy later. But uh, I was a salesman. I sold commercial time, and part of the deal usually was that I would announce the program. And I would have possibly, oh, a minimum of 20, 25 commercial programs a week. I was thinking of your Bible program during the 40s and, and 50s. Well, that was that was something. That was a 15-minute program. Oh, uh, about and, that, uh, yeah. And uh, I remember uh, reading a review about it at one time. I think I was in high school at the time. They said, Bill Hay has the greatest radio show in the world. He doesn't need a scriptwriter. He doesn't need anybody. All he's got to do is open the Bible and sit there and read that. Well, and that's what I did. I didn't, I really, I never studied it. I, I'm no saint by any means. I don't lay claim to being any better than anybody else. But uh, I was brought up in a religious family in Scotland, and we were taught to respect the Bible. But I, naturally, like everybody else, I had favorite passages, but all I did was be very careful to stay away from the genealogical part of it because that's kind of drive stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. But I would just pick up the Bible, and wherever I happened to pick it up, I'd read it. I didn't study it. It wasn't cut and dried. There was a spontaneity about it. And if you can make people realize that you are talking about something in which you believe, 
you're bound to do people a lot of good. That's right. Do you still get over to Scotland? Do you travel? Uh, I'm figuring going there in about four weeks. Mm-hmm. I've only missed one year since 1948. I travel a lot. I'm unfortunate. I lost my wife seven years ago, but I haven't lost the desire to live and enjoy life. And I've been to Australia seven times in the last nine years. My goodness. How old are you? Well, uh, I know you celebrated a birthday. Well, uh, I was born recently. Very, I was born very young. Very young. Yes. I, <laughs> no, I think I think it's only fair because I don't think there's another announcer or personality that's uh, that's in the kind of shape you're in, and I know a lot of them. And, uh, well, I put that down to several things. I inherited good health from two lovely parents. I've always been athletically inclined. When I was eleven or twelve years old, I used to swim about two miles a day. And I was, well, I wasn't the slowest man in the track team at college. And I played golf to a seven handicap, and I had a 30 handicap. What's your handicap now? I haven't played golf since 1937 when I took up lawn bowling. You know, there was one thing that you always did and on 9,500 broadcasts, and that was the special way you signed off Amos and Andy. Would you do that for me? We'll play the theme and we'll do that sign-off for all the armed forces, armed service uh, personnel listen, listening around the world. Well, I, I consider it, I'm not handing you any taffy about this, I consider it a great honor to have the opportunity to be on this program. These boys are over there, and the least anybody can do, the least all of us should do, is give them our moral support and do anything we can to make life a little more pleasant and a little less unpleasant. Well, we all try to do that, and I appreciate you coming down and, and being on the program. Well, you're, you're not doing me any favor. I, I mean, I'm not doing you any favor. You're doing me the favor by giving me the opportunity. I think it's wonderful. Bill Hay, I want to thank you for joining me. And now we'll play the theme, and we'll have you do the closing. Okay. bidding you all good night. And remember, use Pepsodent twice a day. See your dentist at least twice a year. Good night. up this edition of the Golden Days of Radio and our salute to Amos and Andy in a tribute to our in-person guest, Bill Hay. This is Frank Bruzzi in Hollywood, California, inviting you to join me next week at the same time for more from Radio's Golden Days. This is the American Forces Radio and Television Service. <laughs> <laughs>